You're listening to the Cantor Fitzgerald Investor Podcast. Hello. We are delighted to welcome you to today's podcast on the topic of sustainability and the COVID-19 crisis. My name is Helen Dalton. I'm a senior investment manager with Cantor Fitzgerald, and today I'm joined by Carolina Angarati. Carolina has over 13 years experience in the areas of ethical and impact investing and organizational sustainability as part of the LMP team within Cantor. LMP were founded in 1987 and provide ethical investment management and stewardship advice to nonprofit clients. So Carolina, our lifestyles, our cities, our businesses, pretty much everything has been transformed by COVID-19. Um, what's your take on the developments and the lasting effects that they may have? Yes, Helen. So historically, serious outbreaks of disease have often led to major changes in society. So, for example, uh, the sanitation systems that we currently have in cities, they came as a result of outbreaks of cholera in the mid-19th century. Another example is the Spanish flu in 1918 that also led to significant changes in the infrastructure of our cities, like our big cities like London that were experiencing very rapid growth during the pandemic. So with COVID-19, we see that what it could be a major change in the way that we live our life. For example, of working from home, that's just the, you know, the, the biggest change that we've all had, uh, how companies can operate effectively and staff can also work remotely from anywhere in the world. Yeah, I mean, that is certainly true. I mean, if you take our own business in financial services previously uh, to three months ago, it was absolutely unthinkable that we would be able to do our jobs from our kitchen. And now banks are enthusiastically welcoming it uh, and they've been operating very well. There, there hasn't been a drop in productivity, certainly on the office work. What other opportunities do you see? So the opportunities, I mean, working from home have given people opportunities to eliminate long commutes, for example, or to move to areas with more affordable housing that is closer to their families or their support networks. Working from home can also become a catalyst for changes in urban planning, not only in introducing in traffic congestion, but also sustainable public transport that can allow people to uh, move quickly to and from the city. Um, improving yeah, the city. Certainly the true. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact that I am saving myself two hours a day on, on my commute. So it, it's great uh, from that perspective. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. I have, I, I, I know people that were commuting from um, Mollinga or for Manus and, and, you know, the, many places where, you know, that could be taking them about two hours or so every day, each way. So, um, Another change as well that's happening, and not just here in Ireland, we're seeing that um, there's an interest in improving cycling infrastructure as well in cities, because we, we've discovered that's the best way to social distance during, during the pandemic and avoid crowding the public transport. So I saw yesterday in, in an article about the changes that were happening already in Europe and in Milan, one of the most polluted cities in Europe. They're also... Um, the authorities just couldn't afford going back to normal after the pandemic and are now planning to convert 22 miles of streets for bikes and pedestrians in the, in the, in the city centre. There are massive centres in Belgium as well. There's many examples of That's this. That's great. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure you're going to see me on a bike um, anytime soon. 
But I guess a lot of this can be addressed at a political level and partly by how we vote. But what about investors? How can they address sustainability issues um, within their portfolios? So from an investor perspective, we look at these issues through the lens of ESG. ESG stands for environmental, social and governance issues that companies um, use to, to measure their own sustainability performance. So going back to the obvious example of working from home, since COVID-19, companies are now including working from home as part of the HR strategy. So an example here is uh, Facebook. You were talking about financial services as well, but now um, Facebook, for example, announced that staff can work from home indefinitely to allow them to move to more affordable areas. Now, affordable living really is a material issue for Facebook because of where their headquarters are located. They are based in Palo Alto in California, where um, these are areas that are well known for their exorbitant cost of living. So you can see now that you know, a change in focus now um, going on to labor management for ESG investors because inequalities have been highlighted by COVID-19. So for example, companies that are making pay cuts or are laying people off, we're looking at these things and we look at executive pay and the pay ratios relative to the average worker because those imbalances contribute to people losing their jobs in times of crisis. So layoff leads to no income, no income will lead to no spending, and this is a vicious cycle that only pushes the economy further into recession. So what we're really seeing here is, is a complete transformation of parts of the economy. Some may be more long-term than others, but really how successful a, a company will be or otherwise will depend on their ability to manage these risks. And by this means, I mean the social and environmental risk along with the financial performance. Because when we identify those risks, we take the, me the measures to manage them and to create the opportunities that lead to innovation. Right, I see. And so really what we've talked about so far is the sustainable city going forward and the changes that can be done there in terms of things like cycling tracks, um, but also issues of labor, so working from home and what that can mean for um, moving out of cities and moving into affordable areas. And then, of course, uh, the inequalities within the workforce. Um, what about climate change? Because obviously that is a core topic for a lot of ESG investors. I've noticed myself on the private client side that it's something that is coming into focus for our clients. Um, and of course, we've seen such a big drop in uh, carbon emissions so far this year um, due to the lockdown. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I actually saw figures on this recently. So government policies during the pandemic cut daily global emissions by 17% compared to this time last year. And nearly half of that came just from changes in transport. In Ireland, transport is responsible for 40% of emissions. So now think about percent of our yeah. emissions is transport. So that's getting me in, to and from work. Oh my goodness. That just seems like a really obvious area to me to target. Yes, exactly. To make a meaningful change. Because if we are to stick with these measures for a few more months or even the rest of the year, which we know will be catastrophic for the economy, we could experience a drop in carbon emissions between 4 and 7% for the year. But now that 7-11% is very important. And you might have heard that 7% in mentioning the government talks at the moment. Mm -hmm. Why are you saying the 7%? Why is that so key? 
because 7% is the level of emission cuts that need to happen every year to stay under the 1.5 degree warming that was agreed in the Paris Agreement. So, but we can't rely on those extreme measures that we, we, we're taking on the, during the lockdown. And unfortunately, many of the measures that are planned at the political level to cut emissions will only come into force sometime in the future. I mean, we talk about legislation and all that, but really ha nothing has been passed. And we need measures to start yielding emission cuts right now. Yeah, and I can tell that that is becoming increasingly important. Did I read something about our emissions within Ireland and globally have just been on an exponential increase uh, with no signs of slowdown? That's true. That's true, Helen. So we're currently on a path towards a three degree of warming. So think of this three degree warming in terms of the human body. Our normal temperature is 37 degrees, our body temperature. If it goes mm -hmm. one degree warmer or higher, we experience the effects of fever. So we start sweating, having chills, headaches, and so on. We, as the planet, are living systems. And the planet has already warmed by one degree since pre-industrial times. That's the times when we started using fossil fuels to, to power the economy. And we're seeing the effect already of one degree warming in, in, the, in the weather and how erratic it has become. So now three degrees of warming, and what will happen to us with a 40 degree temperature? We start having seizures, brain damage. I mean, the effects are, are devastating. It is the same for the planet if it experiences a three degree of warming. That is a brilliant way to actually put it. And I hadn't really had that explained to me in quite such contrasting detail before. Um, and I think, obviously, with COVID-19, we're very well aware of the damage that mm -hmm. fever can do to ourselves. So I think what this pandemic has highlighted is the, how quickly uh, legislation can be passed uh, when we're all fighting for a common good and against a unified enemy. So... I think from that perspective, it does seem we're not doing enough on the climate change issues. Um, and there has been a lot of talk, but not enough action. Is there anything that investors can do here? Is there, what's the perspective? So business, the business community are responsible for the majority of global emissions. So this is an area where investors can really affect change. How? By holding companies accountable for their emissions. And when it comes to measuring emissions, most companies have focused on scope one and two emissions. Okay, uh, back up there now one second. I've seen that written down before, but I'm not sure I fully explained scope one and two. Okay, no, don't worry. I'll explain what, what, we, what I mean by that. So when we look at carbon emissions, we measure them in terms of a scope one, scope two, and scope three. Scope one are direct emissions from burning the fossil fuels. So just okay. think of the petrol that we put in our cars. That is okay. emissions, scope one. Scope two are emissions from electricity use. So what you get in your electricity bill, that's your scope two emissions. Okay. Now, scope three emissions are indirect emissions from throughout the value chain. So this, is, this isn't as straightforward as it is with scope one and two. Scope three emissions include things like the supply chain, employee commute, business travel. So when it comes to scope three, companies have shied away from disclosure, maybe because of the lack of control they have or, or the difficulty in collecting the data. Just think, for example, of supply chain. It, it would be a quite a comprehensive exercise. 
to, mm-hmm. to account for all those emissions, you know. But managing the scope three emission is what really has a huge potential to slow climate change. Absolutely. It seems to me that it's the one of the areas that could be easily targeted and doing something like you suggest, uh, trying to measure it. Exactly. So, for example, going back to the obvious example of working from home, we're seeing the opportunity to reduce scope three emissions from employee commuting without necessarily affecting productivity. There's also the added positive effect on employee well-being by eliminating long commutes. Well, we are among the top five cities in the European Union with the longest commuting time. Pardon? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> really? Dublin? Yes. Ireland? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I, along with, Fra- with Paris and, and London that we know are, you know, are huge cities, but we're, we're part of that top five. Okay, that explains a lot. Exactly. So another example of, of um, measuring scope three emission is business travel. I, and business travel is one that the company actually has control over. So that, that's why I'm, I'm bringing this example now. Because um, with, with now, at this time, it is becoming increasingly questionably, um, the business travel emissions, given the, all the video conferencing facilities that we all now use and very familiar with. And less business travel will not only reduce scope three emission, but will also free up cash for other activities for the company. Because that really is the rationale behind ESG. It's, it's better risk management. We include, you know, these emissions as well as part of better risk management to generate sustainable long-term returns. Okay. Now, what about the fact it's, it's summertime now and we don't have our own heating on, but uh, if I'm working from home in December, I'm going to want to have the heating on during the day when traditionally it wouldn't have been on. So does that not offset my emissions traveling into work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, Helen. And that's the nature of scope three emissions that they often overlap with other emissions. So whether it's other companies or people. So this can lead to the question, who is responsible for reducing them? So because of this, strategies to reduce COP3 emissions offer opportunities to identify synergies and to collaborate. And that, I really need to really reinforce that word, collaborate. Yeah, it's, it sounds good and opportunities also sounds great. Uh, could you expand on it? Yeah, so, um, so a company's COP3 emissions for either an employee commuting or working from home are their employees own scope one and two emissions. So you see the dynamic here and how we need to work together to, 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 to really create change here. As people embrace working from home, we need to ask the question, are we doing enough to persuade homeowners to improve the energy efficiency of their homes? And in terms of the government policies in this space, what's the current uptake of energy efficiency grants? Are we really, really encouraging people to improve the energy efficiency? This issue is not, at this point, it's not just the employee's issue, but it would be also for the, for the employer because he would be working from home. Now, there's other innovative, innovative solutions as well as from across very recently, and it was the concept of remote hubs or a space in local communities where desks can be organized to allow people to step out of their homes and actually go to an office space, an office space but within their own communities but also ensuring that the building where they are is, uh, has a good energy performance. That's a great example of, of a synergy um, or a possible opportunity um, within local communities. And I think you're, you're touching on the energy efficiency side now. So 
how does Ireland stand on clean energy and how, I suppose, how clean is our grid? Mm -hmm. That's a very important, exactly. And uh, uh, underlying all these, it is important to know how clean the, the grid is. And in Ireland currently, we have 33% of electricity is produced from renewable and energy sources. And we also have a target to increase this to 70% by 2030. So that's in, in the next 10 years. I mean, 2020 is pretty much over now, you know, at this point. It's nine years. So what I'm trying to say for this is that um, renewable energy is an area of huge growth. And the returns also speak for themselves. Just in the first four months of the year, during the worst market performance as a result of COVID-19, U.S. clean power stocks returned 2%, while fossil fuel stocks fell by 41%, and the S&P 500 fell by 9%. And then if we look in, the, in our case of Europe, in the last five-year period, renewable energy projects in Germany and France returned 178% against a loss of 20% for fossil fuel investment. And in the UK, for the same period, 75% for renewable energy projects versus 9% for fossil fuels. Okay, those are the kind of numbers that investors can't ignore. Mm -hmm. um, and they're definitely significant. I suppose one of the questions that we are increasingly getting asked from private clients is how they can support things like clean energy. And we've highlighted in our weekly trader this week an ETF called the iShares Global Clean Energy ETF. It's a fund with the top 30 clean energy companies within it. And Cantor itself has a long history in this area. We've been managing the Green Effects Fund since 2000. It's an ethical fund with a number of top names in that fund, including clean energy companies. Absolutely, Helen. And in something as well that um, we need to talk about when we talk about clean energy is that currently energy markets don't take account of the negative externalities of fossil fuels, which will make renewable energy even a much more economically valuable than fossil fuels. Okay, now this is sounding a little bit like what happened in the tobacco industry. So that it was a long period of a combination of education, tax and policy mm -hmm. change in that industry to account for the negative effects of smoking, the illnesses, um, that, and that's what affected change. Is exactly. that what you're, you're expecting to see within the fossil fuel industry? Exactly. And I, th I, I think, I mean, we all can expect that to happen. In the case of fossil fuels, environmental damage and air pollution are some of the negative externalities. Some of them, there are more, but these are the two, you know, the more, the clearest ones that need to be addressed through measures such as a carbon price, because there is a cost to our health and the planet from these externalities. So these are risks that many companies are taking seriously. And uh, whether it's a company or is it an asset manager, they are currently setting an internal, internal price for carbon to help them guide the decision making. I think what I'm hearing is less fossil fuel means less air pollution, but I don't think we can keep people locked up in their homes um, for years on end. It's really been very rewarding to see some of the clean skies in places like India, where the Himalayas has been visible for the first time in many years. So a drop in air pollution 
it's been staggering and it's been across the news. What are your views there? Absolutely. It really makes you think, Helen, that clean air should be as much a basic right as clean water is. Oh, that, we talk so about, true. So true. <laughs> when we talk about air pollution, we mostly uh, refer to soot and other very small particles that are released during the burning of fossil fuels in cars, trucks, power plants, factories, etc. They are so small that they end up in almost every organ in the body, including the lungs. Wow. What I have seen, though, of course, is clean air, it's as an issue has been tackled in the past. I mean, you look at uh, old pictures from London, for example, the smog was a, a huge issue. And they have managed through policy, uh, um, through changes in policy, they've managed to change that where the air got cleaner. And it was recognized, and it is recognized, that pollution actually kills millions per year. Exactly. So it makes you think we're not doing enough in that space. We've done something, and, 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 and it, you know, it's good, but we're not doing enough. Air pollution kills around 8 million people each year. And in Ireland alone, air pollution kills 1,180 uh, 1, people in 2016. That's a number that's very close to the lives that we've lost to, to COVID-19. There's also research that have found that renewable energy could save up to 4 million lives by 2030. <clears throat> I mean, really, I mean, the time to move away from fossil fuels was yesterday. I saw actually a quote very recently that really makes you think, and it said that we're in the middle of a fourth industrial revolution, but we're still powering with the fuels that our great-grandparents used for the first one. That's a very stark point and well put. I think we're seeing that fossil fuels have become more controversial in recent years. People liked the oil stocks uh, previously because of the dividend. Um, dividends are under threat now at the moment. And I've certainly, again, private clients are approaching us and they're expressing their own concerns and asking the questions. You, of course, you are on the charity side. A lot of your clients are charities. And uh, within LMP, have you taken a, a stance on these issues? Yes, uh, yes, Helen, since 2017, all of our clients divested from fossil fuels. And since then, we focus on decarbonization strategies that are, that are key to achieve the emissions reduction targets that we have set. So the important to highlight this decision is that um, this decision was also taken from a risk reward and portfolio allocation perspective. Okay. okay. So what we did was we moved money away from uh, fossil fuels into climate solutions by okay. divesting. But I guess the counterpoint would be that if you're not a shareholder and if you divested yourself from those companies, you're removed from the conversation and a potential chance to influence a company. Does, does a different campaign work? Yeah, okay. So the, you're right. I mean, the divesting campaign has become a very polarized issue, like pretty much everything in the world right now. But the reality is, is that investors need to make their voice heard on these issues, whether it is by starving the most carbon-intensive industries of funding or engaging polluters to drive change. So we, we, in our position, we don't discount investor initiatives like the uh, Climate Action 100, that were known for uh, pressurizing 
world, the world's polluters to take action on climate change. But really moving to a decarbonized economy will take unprecedented levels of capital investment in climate solutions. And that really has been the approach taken by LMP Klein um, to accelerate that energy transition while also being carbon positive in their investment portfolios. And what I mean by that is that their investment portfolio is actually taking more carbon out of the atmosphere that is producing. All this along with creating meaningful metrics. That's as well very important in this process to be able to demonstrate what you're achieving with your portfolio in terms of positive impact for society and the planet. Yep, and it comes back to your point on the scope three. These things have to be measured so that we're able mm -hmm. to see what difference they're making. And I think it's down to individual investors whether or not they want to be involved with a company uh, in the fossil industry, for example, so they can help affect change internally, or they're going to support something like the Climate Action 100 and take on those large emitters to try and make those changes. And of course, it will be down to governments as well. Mm -hmm. Carolina, thank you so much. That was a really interesting and fascinating discussion. And we've covered an awful lot of ground, and I think that our clients will really appreciate your in sites in this and the depth of your experience and the experience of LMP to the wider Cantor group, which we have very much welcomed. What I would say to listeners is if you are interested in ethical investing, there truly is a wide range of options available from individual companies to specialist funds. And I would encourage anyone with questions to contact their broker. Thank you for listening. This marketing communication has been prepared by Cantor Fitzgerald Ireland for information purposes only and has been prepared without regard to the individual financial circumstances and objectives of persons who receive it. This marketing communication is not intended and does not constitute personal recommendations or investment advice, nor does it provide the sole basis for any evaluation of the securities discussed. Specifically, this information contained in this marketing in communication should not be taken as an offer or solicitation of investment advice or encourage the purchase or sale of any particular security. Not all recommendations are necessarily suitable for all investors and Cantor Fitzgerald Ireland Limited recommend that specific advice should always be sought prior to investment based on the particular circumstances of the investor. The value of your investments can go down as well as up. Cantor Fitzgerald Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Cantor Fitzgerald Ireland is a member of the firm of the Irish Stock Exchange and the London Stock Exchange. LMP Trustee Services Limited is authorised as a trust and company service provider. Music